Basically, the definition was a time when a difficult or important decision must be made. We would say it's got to a crisis, a point of crisis. Uh, we're going to have to fish or cut bait. We're going to have to go in or stay out. Today's the day of decision. There's a time factor in what has been just lingering and, and uh, simmering. Suddenly, we have to make a decision. And in the, the book of John, chapter 16, in verse 33, we look at this. We look at this scripture all the time because it's so powerful about where we're living today. The Lord Jesus said, these things I've spoken unto you. So you go up to the verses ahead and you find out what he spoke to you. It says, these things I've spoken unto you that in me, say in him, in him, he said, in me, ye might have peace in the world. Ye shall, ye shall, no doubt about it. Ye shall have tribulation. But he said, but. In the world, you'll have tribulation. Ye shall have it in the world. Well, we got to get, we got to get where we're not drawing from the world because ye shall have tribulation. But he said, but in me, but be of good cheer. I have overcome. I have conquered the world. So even though we're in the world, we are not of this world. And so let's, let's take this, uh, this word about crisis. Let's take it a little further. He said, you'll have tribulation. I've been through tribulation, which is pressure, which is distress, it's uh, trouble, but that doesn't mean it's crisis. Crisis, tribulation is not crisis. What's a crisis when, is when you don't stop it or you don't steer it. Tribulation, pressure, and trouble is common to life. Stress is common to life. You will never get to the place where you're not presented with the temptation to have stress to be anxious, to be indecisive. But what happens is, is if you don't steer it, if you don't manage it, if you don't overcome it, it will, it always will develop into a crisis. So we can handle tribulation. I said, you can handle tribulation. Well, your money's not just right. Well, I'm in crisis. No, you're not. Unless you let that thing fester and, and uh, boil up and, and overflow, and then all of a sudden, not managing it, not steering it, it can develop into a crisis where you have trouble and you have to make a decision, and, and neither of the options are ever very good. The options at the beginning of the tribulation were right there. You could steer this thing out of a crisis, but... If you don't steer it, if you don't dominate it, if you don't take authority over it, the smallest little symptom in your body, like, ah, I'm not going to fool with that. If you don't take authority over it, if you don't get a hold of it, suddenly you have a diagnosis that you're not willing to bear and you got trouble. Are we right? If you don't deal with your finances, you just let them go. Well, I'm just going to let my wife handle them or whatever. Uh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to let this happen. You can have a financial crisis and it is not fun, and it will linger. You will come out of it. Every crisis has an end, but it won't be pretty on the middle of it if you don't steer it. And here's what I want to tell you this morning. Because he said in, in, in the world, you'll have tribulation. I've overcome the world. In Jesus, there's always a way to win. I said in the Lord Jesus, in his word, there's always a way to win. No matter what the crisis, no matter what the tribulation, the pressure, distress... There is only one way to always win, and that is through the Lord Jesus. Yes. So tribulation has an end. Pressure has an end. Crisis even has an end. But it's not going to guarantee that it'll win except in the Lord Jesus. No event is a crisis unless you don't steer it in the Lord Jesus. Tribulation is not a crisis, but a wrong reaction to tribulation will bring crisis. Well, I'm mad at the preacher. I'm mad at the pastor. You don't even have to like the pastor to get what you need in church. How many of you had kids that uh, they didn't like their teacher? And you didn't say, you don't like your teacher? Well, I'm jerking you out of there. We're going to get you another room, another teacher, another school. No, you just said, buck up, Junior. It doesn't matter if you like him. You're going to learn history. You're going to learn algebra. You're going to learn English. And you just have to buck up and just put that teacher, same thing in church. You don't like the pastor? 
learn, grow, overcome, get what you need and pay no attention to him. And someday you might change your mind or someday he might change. It's possible. <laughs> it's a miracle. In, in Psalm 77, Barry, I did not get you scriptures this morning. I had all this time and I didn't. But we know this scripture. In the Living Bible, it says your road. Listen, we're talking about there's always a way to win. Point yourself with me and say it. There's always a way to win. No crisis. It comes to you as impossible. A crisis is something that presents itself with no answer. Well, if it had an answer, you'd already be on the answer. If it had something easy to steer to, you'd already been there. It was, it's the reason we ignored it. The reason that we put up with it is because there was no answer. And rather than, than steer it, get a hold of it, we were ambivalent. We were reticent. We were, we were, uh, we just hesitated. And that thing suddenly turned into something that we never dreamed. So we have to know in the middle of a crisis or the beginning of a crisis, there's always a way to win in Jesus. Now, you have to have that. If, if nothing else, you've got to get that fixed in there that says, this looks tough. This looks terrible. This looks like it's going to hurt me. It's going gonna, it's gonna to put me under. But there's always a way to win. In, in Psalm 77, in verse 19, it says, your road, remember this story? Your road led by a pathway through the sea, a pathway that nobody knew was there. Yay! I said, yay. Well, when did that pathway get there? It wasn't, it wasn't the evening before Moses was uh, uh, boxed in by the Egyptians behind him in the Red Sea. God put it in there when he made the earth. He said, we're going to need this someday. It'll just be sitting there for a long time. And I'm telling you, there's always a way to win in your life. God's looked ahead and prepared a way out. In 2 Kings chapter 6, I love this story. Verse 4. Listen, it's talking about... Uh, the, the prophets, and they're, uh, they're cutting down some uh, trees. And uh, it says, they cut down wood, but as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell in the water. Y'all remember the story? He cried, alas, and said, alas, master, for it was, bar it was borrowed. And the man of God said, where fell it? Well, I mean, he fell in the water. It, 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 it's in the water. And he cut down a stick and cast it thither. And the iron did swim. Therefore said he, take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and took it. There was always a way to win. It was certainly not conventional. It wasn't like, well, come on, guys, put your scuba gear on and go in there and find the axe head. He stuck a stick in there. Now, there's nothing supernatural in, there's nothing natural, supernatural about sticking a stick in there. But there's always a way out when you believe it. In Matthew chapter 17, I love this story, too. I love all these miracles. In verse 24, in 26 and 27, I, I've compressed these. If y'all look it up and say, well, there's extra stuff in there, I'm just getting to the gist because of time. It says, uh, the Lord Jesus uh, was confronted by the, uh, the, the tax collectors, and they said, does your master pay tribute? It says, that they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, doth your master pay tribute or taxes? And later Jesus said unto Peter, Go thou into the sea, cast a hook in, and take up the fish that first cometh up. Isn't that amazing? Peter could fish, and he was going to fish and get lots of fish. But he said, Well, just get the first one. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that take and give unto them for me and thee. There's always a way to win. There's always a path out. You go, well, I didn't see that. You never will. That's what makes it tribulation. If it's like I'm hungry, well, the, the refrigerator's got lots of stuff going to the cabinet. Well, then it's not tribulation because there's plenty and you can eat. But if you're hungry and there's nothing in the refrigerator, that could lead to tribulation, distress and pressure, especially on the third day. Amen. So let me start, let me go another avenue this morning. Let's, let's put the truth out there because, because tribulation is everywhere. Pressure is everywhere. It's daily. It's distress is on people. People bring distress. The desk that you sit at at work does not bring distress. 
the magic marker that you write with, the, the computer, well, the computer may bring distress, but uh, yeah, so let's throw it in the river when we go over it, amen. But here's the, here's the bottom line. Christians are problem solvers. Point yourself with me and say, hey, you, you are a problem solver. Now, that's the end of it. Not like some things, well, I went to school for that, or, you know, I used to work at something like that, and I kind of know how that works. No, we are supernatural problem solvers. And we could go into a whole hour just talking about that, but trust me, that's true. But we have wisdom by the word. And we got full strength, Holy Ghost. Both of those are wisdom. This is the book of wisdom. There is no other wisdom, man's wisdom. It's worthless. It's sorry. It's, uh, un- it's uh, undependable. And then we have the Holy Ghost who knows the mind of the Lord. Y'all remember that saying that? Who know, who can know the mind of the Lord but the Spirit? But we have the mind of Christ. So we are problem solvers. Why wouldn't we solve every problem? Because we are in the world. Because we're thinking like the world. Well, what are we going to do about that? And, and how can that work? And I don't see it and I don't get it. I need this much money and I only have that much money. Ah! And we start stressing out. But there's always a way to win. And the Holy Ghost... He's going to use the word to get you out of trouble and problem and solve the problem. We don't have crises. I looked it up. Crises is the plural of crisis. Crises. Bet you didn't know that. No, there's no such thing as sheeps or feets. <laughs> you got one foot, you got two feet. We have Christ, we don't have crises. Crisis is when you have no way out. The problem solver always has a way out. You go, I don't see it. I, it there's no way out. Yes, there is. There was, a, there was a pathway under the sea that nobody knew was there. So when the Lord told Moses, lift up your rod, lift up your staff, lift it up, suddenly the pathway became evident. So he might have you do something. He might have you give something or say something that's not related to your situation. Y'all know raising the staff was not related to the situation, but it opened the door. It was the key that went in and opened the door and suddenly problem solved. And what was so cool is they went down this pathway to the other side and uh, Pharaoh followed in and suddenly <laughs> whoosh, the waters came back in. Isn't God cool? I mean, he's double cool. Praise God. So we face tribulation. I face challenges. I've got things in my life that need to be solved. Could I have a better amen? We all have things that we're going, how are we going to do that? But you got to approach it right because your tribulation, your pressure, that your distress wants to turn into a crisis. That's the devil. He's the God of this world, and he tries to manipulate people and situations to bring what's just normal and regular in the world and bring it to a crisis mode, because we're pretty worthless in a crisis. I mean, the world is pretty worthless. You ever been with somebody that's in crisis? You can't get anything good out of them. What are they talking about? Their crisis. What are they thinking about? Their crisis. Everything is about this thing that is sitting on them like a a full-grown elephant, and they can't get out of it. So tribulation is sent to bring, to tempt us to go into crisis. You can handle tribulation. I can handle pressure. I can handle distress, even even though it's distressing sometimes. I can handle that. I can speak the word. No weapon formed against me will prosper. I'm the head and not the tail. He always causes me to triumph in Christ Jesus. Greater is he that is in me than he's in the world. I have a defense. I have a, I can put on the armor of God. Having done all the stand, I stand therefore. But if I don't do any of that, if I just sit there and take it, especially if I don't know that I've been redeemed, especially if I've messed up, and we all have, and the devil says, God's sending this to you, or God's allowing this because you were bad to the bone. You, 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 this is what you deserve. And we go, yeah, I, I've been expecting it because I knew I didn't do right. I, I know that I, I did wrong. I sinned. 
and I deserve to have some sort of punishment. That's wrong thinking. I said, that's the lie against your life. And the devil is the instigator of that. He's the one that says, you're bad. I saw what you did, or you saw what you did. He'll tell you that like it's you. So it's sent against you. Trouble is sent against you to bring you or tempt you to come into crisis. But we have the peace of God that passes understanding in the midst of the storm. And that's what peace is. Peace isn't when you're watching little deers eating, uh, little deer eating over in the, in the forest and the sun's fixing to come down in the color. That's not the peace of God. The peace of God is when it's raging around you, the storm is up, and, and the Lord Jesus stands up and said, peace be still. That's when the peace of God takes over. It's not when things are good, fine, and easy. It's when there's trouble. That's when the peace comes over us, and we don't act like there's trouble. We act like, I already know the way out. I already know how this turns out. You ever watched a movie the second time? And they'll go, get someone not, is with you that hadn't watched it, and they go, ah. You go, ah, they got this. Superheroes coming in the door, and we got this. Well, you think, well, that's peace. Well, you know the ending. You know how the, the, the plot is going, the script is going. We know the ending. I know the ending. If I'm in tribulation, if I'm in crisis, it's because I'm acting like I don't know how this thing is supposed to turn out. Faith knows. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 9. You're right there in John, could be. Now I'm going to tackle a hard scripture this morning. In John chapter 9, Verse 1, it says, Jesus, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. So the Lord Jesus saw this man, didn't he? He saw the man. And his disciples asked him, because they saw him see him. His disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now look at verse 3. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, here it is, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Now, that's a hard scripture for us anyway, because that sounds like God put something on somebody, congenital defect, in order to someday get glory. And so we're going to point to other people that have autism or have MS or uh, uh, CP or anything like that that are terrible things, cancer, and you, you'd say, well, God put that on you because he, he wants to get the glory in it. Well, as you get sicker and you get worthless as far as your life, you go, what glory is God getting? Well, God knows he's, he's getting glory. Well, let me read it in the Passion Translation, because as you know, sometimes the King James is a little, uh, a little vague. As Jesus walked down the street, he noticed a man blind from birth. His disciples asking, teacher, whose sin caused this guy's blindness, his own or the sin of his parents? Jesus answered, neither. It happened to him so that you could watch him experience God's miracle. So let's, let's set things in order according to doctrine, because it still sounds in that, that God had a purpose or had a hand in this man being blind. Doesn't it? Doesn't it sound like, ah, I did it so that I could do this. I had to have step A so I could have step B. The truth is, God, trouble is not God judging our sin. Trouble is not God judging our sin. Let me say it again. Trouble, tribulation, things not going right is not God judging our sin. Now, we got a whole bunch of scriptures that talk about Jesus has already judged our sin that we've done that we're in, present, and future. He already judged it and said it is the sin unto death. It is the, the wages of sin are death, the word says in Romans. So Jesus, in order to keep us from dying because of our sin, of having judgment come on us, he stepped in front of us and he bore the judgment for our sin. So trouble is not God judging us for our sin. Y'all say amen. Amen. It's not. 
Now, it's real easy to connect the two because sometimes, uh, uh, often, when we sin, it brings death, which is something that we, uh, we understand when you mess up. God's not judging you, but whatsoever you sow, that which is what you also reap. So it's good. It's going to have trouble. If you lie, God's not judging you, but somebody at work is going to judge you. They're going to look at your application and said, you said you were this and you said you had that. And we find out you don't have either of them. There's going to be trouble to pay, isn't it? But it wasn't God. So grace doesn't take away the pressure, the tribulation or the trouble. Grace does not make us exempt from trouble. But grace wins over the trouble. It's like, well, what's wrong with you? You're going through trouble. You got tribulation. God must be mad at you. Or what, what did you do to deserve that? Well, it doesn't exempt us. Grace does not exempt us from trouble. Wisdom can. Sometimes you can hear Holy Ghost like Deborah was talking about. Hear Holy Ghost and steer around it. We should steer around it. We should obey the word, which is always the deliverer in our life. We should steer around trouble. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to move to this town. Well, did, what did the Holy Ghost say? I'm not asking him. I just want to. Well, you're, you step out at your own peril because the protected place in Egypt was the land of Goshen. And if you lived in Goshen when there was hailstorms and, and plagues and lice and, and flies and, and all the things that were going on in the plagues of Egypt, Goshen, the sun was coming up and it was a bright, shiny day and everybody just went out in the pasture with their sheep and had a great day. Mama would call and say supper's ready and we'd all go in and just eat till our eyes bugged out. Goshen was a great place. We live in Goshen. But if you step out of Goshen... And you go where Goshen isn't, you go out of the, the, the parameters of where the umbrella is, you step into the world, and in the world you shall have tribulation, pressure, and distress. So, so Jesus did not say that God made this man blind to demonstrate power. The truth is, is there is a supernatural power for every trouble or every situation that you and I face. This man was born blind, but there was a way out for him. The Bible says in Exodus 15, 26, let me just read it to you. This man had a way out, and you have a way out. I have a way out. This man's way out was, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and do what is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes. <laughs> That's pretty heavy. I will put none, the word there is disallow, I will, I will put none of these diseases upon these, which I have brought upon the Egyptians. And here's what it says, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. So troubles come in the world. This man was born, born blind. We, like I said earlier, we passed, a, we passed a car coming in that said autism awareness, which is exalting the, the curse. Now, excuse me, I get a little technical here. We ought to exalt Jesus instead of exalting the trouble or the curse that the devil brought. But nevertheless, I understand where people are, but it's not the way we want to be. Just because people are there doesn't mean that we should go there. It's not a way out. Having walks for cancer and having uh, runs and everything like that, it does nothing. I know I'm going to get in trouble over all this. I know, you know, it's like, but, but, yeah, yeah, but it doesn't. If we spend our energy in the Word, it would. But nevertheless, you and I have a way out. So what about people that are born crippled? What about people that are born blind? There's a way out. This man's way out was there in the word, but his way out happened to come a different way. Jesus himself came by and healed him of this trouble, but he could have got it another way. So, so let me go back to the verse here. It says in verse three, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. 
So there's a, there's a pathway under the sea. There's a ram in the thicket. There's a, there's a stick that'll go in and get the axe head to swim. There's something that you can, you and I can always access in the kingdom to get delivered from tribulation and to come out of crisis. The Lord Jesus wasn't saying God made him that way. The Lord Jesus had already said, that's in the world. This man was in the world. I'll tell you now, this, this is really going to get me in trouble. I know this. But let's just go to the ideal. The ideal is what God wants. His word works when we get where his word says we should be. So you go, well, why do parents have uh, handicapped children? And let, I'll just stick it out there for the extreme. Well, it's just God's will. It's just what God wanted. It's just a, a burden. You know, it'll make you humble to raise a, a, a Down syndrome ch child. I know I'm going to get in trouble for this. But I'm telling you, what we're supposed to be, the ideal is, is we would do the word. That our parents would have raised us up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, and we would have been taught and trained about the Lord Jesus and the power of God that we have as Christians. And we would have been raised up, and we would have married somebody consistent with the faith, who then he or she would come in and we'd be in agreement, and we would, before we conceived, we would pray a prayer of faith. Are y'all with me at all? We would pray a prayer of faith, and it would be according to as we said, not according as the world. We would steer around that. You can pray for the gender of your child if you do it before you conceive. But after it is, it is. <laughs> but you can, you, can, you can steer this thing before conception. But, you know, you can't do anything after it's there, after he or she is there. So... We could ideally, and isn't that what the promises are? If you'll do your part, God's already done his part. So you, you get into it, you get in faith, you get into the word, you believe the promises, and then the promises work. But if you ignore this, if you go your own way, if you live in the, in the world that has tribulation, you're going to have tribulation. And many times it will go to crisis because uh, we just don't know what to do. Uh, we know a woman that was at Curry Blake's that's written a book or a, a pamphlet or something that talked about she only speaks the word over her son who has Down syndrome. And he, he, I, apparently it was severe. But she took him at an early age, just right from the beginning. And she spoke the word of God, the word of the truth over that son. And he's normal. I mean, as normal as normal is, you know what normal looks like out there. Praise the Lord. Help me, Jesus. <laughs> but she changed it, and we can change it. It took years to do it. She steered that thing. She turned it from being a crisis to being what it should have been if she had, or I'm, I'm not judging her, I'm just saying, things don't happen for a reason except that we don't get in faith, and things just happen. I, I don't know what it is, chromosomes or... Uh, drugs you take and everything, all those things, we have to steer random. Well, how could we know about uh, uh, that, that drug that women took in the 50s that caused birth defects? How could we know about that? We know things that we can't know because we have the mind of Christ. We're filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We are increasing in the knowledge of God. You want to have a family? You want to have, you want to have prosperity? You want to have healing in your body? You got to do it God's way. But everybody wants to just say, well, 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 I'm busy. I've got a job and I'll do. Well, you just know you're in the world. You're not trying to be in the world. You go to church, you tithe, you give. Everything's like that is, is, is God word. But faith is what moves the mountain, not just mental ascent. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> so I wrote this down. The Lord told me that religion wants God to be made in man's image. That's real good. Religion wants God to be made in man's image. The Lord Jesus wants to lift us up. He's the firstborn among many brethren. So as he is, so are we in the world. We've been raised up. But religion wants to bring, they want to do their, their thing. They want to not change. They want to have their laws and rules. 
and they want to bring God down to conform and to even affirm what they've done. Religion makes God unpredictable. Listen, religion makes God unpredictable and makes man a victim of his emotions. If you've ever been to a funeral, and we all have, there's many things said that are terrible and lies against God. Now, we have compassion, and we're sorry for the loss, and it's terrible, and it's, it wrenches you. Uh, it's just it shouldn't happen, especially if it's someone that, that uh, got their life snuffed out prematurely. But at any age, at any time, you appreciate the things that the people have done or what they could have done. But the truth is religion tries to justify it and makes everybody. You know what they say in ministerial circles? They say everybody is a Christian at a funeral. Because it's already done. What it is is what it is. We can't change it by saying, oh, they were good. But if they didn't know Jesus, they weren't good. Even though they were, you know, your best friend and just a great dad and a great brother and all that. So religion makes God unpredictable. You never know what God's going to do. And it makes man the victim. They blame God because he's emotionally unstable. They never say that, but they just say things like that. You never know what God's going to do. So I wrote down, I came up with eight things that religion says. And I just want to put them out there. I don't like to be negative. I don't like to talk about things that the world does. But I'm going to confront every one of these religious things with the Word of God that show that they're not true and to show us, to demonstrate that God's good. He cares. And tribulation is big on his list. The Lord Jesus wept because he was full of compassion at what the devil had done to people because he came to save them from that. So what the first, number one, I'm going to use the, the most famous, is that God works in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. Y'all have heard that. Well, you've heard it now. God works in mysterious ways. So it makes God unpredictable, makes him emotional. But the Bible says Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not unpredictable. And he's not unstable. And what he did for anyone, listen, no respecter of persons, what he did for anyone, he will do for me. He will do for you. If you can ever find that he did something for anybody, healed them of anything, changed their life and their finances in any way, God will do it for you. Well, why doesn't he? He just wants us to get in faith to believe him that he will. Number two, this is a religious thing that God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard that? God helps those that help themselves. But the Lord Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine and ye are the branches. Then what did he say? Without me, ye can do nothing. So God helps those that help themselves. Well, we can't help ourselves. There's nothing we can do to change it. We can cope. We can exist. We can survive. But we can't help our situation at all. All we can do is go into a tribulation mode, a crisis mode, excuse me, a distress mode, a pressure mode, and just endure it till we get through it. But there's another one waiting for us on the other side. Number three, religion says God, man does what he can, and God does whatever man can't. These are all, script, these are all sayings that, that say we don't really need God. These are the people that, that call God the man upstairs. He's not the man upstairs. He lives everywhere, not just upstairs. Hallelujah. So, I, uh, I, uh, excuse me, uh, man does what he can, and God doesn't, does whatever man can. But Philippians says, I can do all things. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthened me, empowers me. Uh, Galatians 2.20 says, the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave his life for me. I live by the faith. I don't live by what I can do. And then God does the rest. I like number four. I've heard this one many times myself, that God gave us a brain to think with. We should use it. In other words, it's, it's too early to pray. It's too early to be needy. It's too early to depend on God because if you ever depend on him, if he ever does something for you, you're going to owe him. 
That's the thinking behind it. We don't want to do anything until we have to because it's a high price to pay if you ever get involved in your life. You just get so many miracles in your life, apparently. And uh, if you use them up there on the beginning on something little, then what are you going to do when you got to have him in the clutch? <laughs> uh, let's see. What did I say? God gave us... God gave us a brain to think with. We should use it. But you know, 1 Corinthians says we have the mind of Christ. So we shouldn't use our brain. We should, we should move from room to room. We should aim at our mouth with supper. We should, we should drive on the right side of the road. We should use our brain for those things. And everything else, just give it to Jesus. <laughs> uh, number five, they said they couldn't, they said that they can't do anything more. It's in the Lord's hands. I heard this the other day. Well, we're sorry that we can't do anything else for your, for your brother. Uh, well, we understand. It's in the Lord's hands. It's not in the Lord's hands. Uh, Mark eleven twenty two says, Have faith in God, for whoever, for whoever should say to the mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. So it's not in the Lord's hands. Uh, it's in my hands. I engage him. When you let the clutch out on a car, it's not your feet that's, that's pushing it. You just engage the engine and the transmission. As long as you got that clutch pushed down, you got 400 horses under the hood, you got a transmission that's, uh, uh, that's, can stand anything, but nothing's pulling anything until you let the clutch up. Mark eleven twenty three says, let the clutch out, and he'll engage us. Number six, God knows where I am, and if it's his will, he'll get me out of trouble. Now, this is famous. Y'all know this one. You know, God, God knows where I am. If he wants to heal me, he can. It's a cop-out. It's worthless. It's useless. Because the Lord Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in the heavenlies. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in the heavenlies. Am I doing a good job this morning? Hallelujah. Um, number, oh, yeah, and also uh, God knows where I am, and if it's his will, he'll, he'll get me out. Uh, Jesus said, the thief cometh but to steal. So the Lord can't even do anything bad. You know, it's like, I'm going to ignore you. That's the devil that ignores you. Number seven, God is using his power to teach us something for our own good. So he's using this situation. You have a, you have a, a young father or a young mother that... Uh, uh, got, got run over or left this world, got shot. And we, we, we just said, well, God's trying to teach me something through this untimely death. God did it in order to impart. But the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Faith comes by hearing. Well, if I can get faith by hearing, then God's not involved in what he does. It's up to me. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13, I like this one. Y'all listen to this. 10.13 says in the TEV, every test that you have experienced is the kind that normally comes to people. Say amen. But God keeps his promise, and he will not allow you to be tested beyond your power to remain firm. At the time you are put to the test, he will give you the strength to endure it. Now, here's what I like. And to provide you with a way out. There's always a way to win. No matter what's your temptation, no matter how, who is at fault. I deserve this because I'm the one that did that. I'm the one that walked into it. I'm the one that said yes to this trouble. It's my fault, therefore I deserve it. No, it is your fault. It is my fault. I take responsibility for getting me into the tribulation but I take no responsibility for getting me out of it. He said, I will, with every temptation, he will give you the strength to endure it and so provide you with a way out. I said, there's a way out. The Bible says there's always a way out. Hallelujah. Well, I didn't see it. Well, you're going to have to seek the Lord where he may be found. You're going to have to wait on the Lord. You're going to have to loose yourself from the, the, the hopelessness of what you're in and say, God can do this for me. And number eight, I just got this one this morning, just as I went out the door. Well, I guess it was their time to go. You know, when somebody dies, 
Christians stand back and say, I guess it was their time to go. Their number just came up and that was it. Have you ever heard that? Oh, I have. It was just their time to go. It was their time to go. You know, last week it wasn't their time to go, but this week it's their time to go. Last week they barely escaped, but this week uh, the wounds or the trauma or the injury, uh, they didn't survive it, and now it was their time to go. You know, it just doesn't sound right. It just doesn't sound like God's thinking. The Bible says in in Psalm 91, verse 16, with long life, I, God said, I will satisfy you. Well, it's not my time to go until I'm satisfied. You go, well, that makes people live 200 years. No, in the world, you'll have tribulation. This this world wears you down. You don't, and, and heaven becomes more and more real. As you age, it's like, oh, Lord Jesus, please come quickly. And so you'll get satisfied and you'll have enough. Now I'm going to finish up with this, a crisis. I hate crisis. We dread crisis. We don't want crisis to come. We'll do anything to steer around crisis, and we should, but we should do what God says. Crisis reverses forward progress. How many of you ever been just sailing on, things going good, and suddenly you were intersected, you were T-boned by a crisis, and it changed everything? All your forward progress was over, and if anything, we start losing ground. We're secretly... And silently mad at God. I've been serving you. Uh, uh, had a, Debbie had a grandmother that uh, uh, she was a soul winner. Oh, my. I, I, we always heard about Granny. But when she got, the doctor said, we think you have cancer in your hip. And she was so mad at God. I mean, she's a soul winner. She loves it. She's the one with the Jesus board, eight foot tall, going down her wall. She said, God, this isn't fair. I'm a soul winner. How many of y'all know that's wrong doctrine? It doesn't matter what you've done. It matters what you believe. Because the man that had never been a soul winner has, as a matter of fact, been an obstacle and a, and a, and a roadblock for people. And people looked at him and said, ah, if he's doing that, I can do that. A roadblock, and yet the Lord wants to heal him as much as the soul winner. You go, that isn't fair. Sure it is. Faith changes everything. So so suddenly, you can cut off your past, your neglect, your willfulness, your rebellion. You can cut it off and say, it's not going forward because I'm in faith. It's like I'm a new creature in Christ. Y'all ever heard that? Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. I had a terrible past, but I got a wonderful future. The Lord just doesn't pay attention to our past because Jesus solved the sin problem. Say it with me. Jesus solved the sin problem. And it's not a problem anymore. It is to religion because they use it as a club to beat you over the head and to keep you. Crisis makes your Christianity ordinary and normal. When you have a crisis, you're just like everybody else. What's different about you? Crisis blunts your boldness. Well, I've seen that in my own life, where you just like you had a crisis and you didn't you didn't come out of it as good as you wanted to, and you just don't want to talk to anybody about how powerful God is because you just went. You know what I'm talking about? You've kind of been under the bus, and so you get blunted. But on the other hand, handling pressure, distress, crisis accelerates forward progress. James told us that. He said, blessed is the man that endures temptation. He's going up. He's going up. So we have to win at temptation, don't we? We have to win. We have to come out of pressure before it goes to crisis. We have to. Well, I don't feel like it. I'm tired and I'm wore out and I'm emotional. Sure you are. We all are. When crisis comes or pressure comes, we all want to just say, I think I can outlast this. I can hardly tell you how many times I got a little symptom, got a little, a little scratchy thing in your throat, and you go, I just, I'm busy. It's just that. I, I will just gargle or I'll just whatever and, and take aspirin or whatever. And suddenly you got strep or whatever. It's like, 
I, sh- I could have stopped this. Are y'all here? So handling pressure accelerates forward progress, and it increases your boldness. If you ever have a testimony, just like this testimony this morning about two people that uh, word of knowledge got them healed, whoo-hoo, God, give me another word of knowledge. And I mean, it just makes you like, let's go for it. Hallelujah. And I like this one. Uh, preventing a crisis or handling pressure denies the devil and it, and it neutralizes his work. It denies the devil. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy. And when you stand against him, it denies him and it neutralizes his plan. Let me read you a scripture in Luke. Cha- I'm through with this. This is actually it. Luke chapter 4 ver- and verse 13 in the Amplified. Y'all know this one. Jesus had been tempted for 40 days, and he won every battle with the word. He said, it is written. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he temporarily left him until a more opportune and favorable time. Guess what? There was never a more opportune or favorable time. Once you win at temptation, at tribulation, at distress and pressure. Once you win, you're emboldened. You've cut the devil off, and he's got to come at you another way because that way doesn't work anymore. Once you win in any venue, your money, your body, your children, once you win, you're emboldened, and the devil can't come that way for a while. And if we keep ourselves stirred up about what happened, he'll never get back in that way. I've been through so many things financially. You can't even know what I've been through. I've been to old Billy and back and then went again. I've had all these things happen. And every, and every one of them tried to turn into crisis. And a couple did. I'm older than I've ever been. And I've had plenty of opportunity to not believe God for money. I've never had a vocational job since I've been in the ministry. In 40 years coming up this January, I've never had a vocational or a secular job. And hey, I'm glad all of y'all do. Don't quit your job because I, I didn't have one. I've got a job. But I've just, what I'm saying is, the Lord's provided for me. And I hadn't been living under the bridge or in a tent. But it's because I had to pass some pressure, some temptation, and some distress. I had to win. I've seen everything including the kitchen sink, go by. And then I saw it go by again. And the third time it went by, I figured he didn't have anything new because it was going by with the same stuff. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't brag that I'm indomitable in finances, but I'm I'm saying the devil can't scare me with them. I've just seen the miracle power of God over and over and over. And I just know, I just know, I just know it's who I am. I know he will provide for me. And so I can be strong about it. I can, I can share that. I can testify of it. I can encourage because what he does for one, he'll do for all. The word says it. It's not my testimony, but I do have an affirmation. People that deny prosperity or healing, they have an argument, but I have a testimony. I have an experience, and you can't talk me out of it because I've been healed. I've been delivered. I've had the devil be sitting on me full press and the Lord take him off because I stood with the Lord. And not me, all of y'all have a testimony. We all have a testimony, but we got to stay out of crisis. No more crisis. No more crisis with me. No more crisis. Tribulation will come. Pressure, even distress but no crisis. We can steer around every crisis that the devil brings or that we don't steer. Amen. Would y'all get something out of that? Praise God. We're, 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 we're getting Jesus strong, not mentally, certainly not religiously. We're getting Jesus strong, and it's changing everything. Uh, I had a word this morning. I've got a word, I should say, about somebody's throat. And... Uh, it's uh, it's damaged. It started out like uh, you, there was an accident or something, and your throat got damaged, and uh, it's not getting better. Matter of fact, you're having troubles with it, and you've been to the doctor, 
and they're working with you. And I say in the name of Jesus, that throat is healed right now. And I speak to that throat, and I tell you to be healed, to be changed, to be turned around in the name of Jesus. And then I see someone, this is a little different, that's got severe toenail trouble. And if you ever have seen people with toenail trouble, it's trouble. Uh, it's just, it's, it's bad. It's not, it's not like cancer, but it's trouble. And so you've got trouble, specifically in your right foot, and uh, it, it has really hindered you and shut you down. And there's no short-term effect, it, uh, a cure. It's, it's like you've got to be on therapy and you've got to do this and that and the other. And I tell you in the name of Jesus, if you'll receive it, I speak to that toenail and I speak to the cause that's caused it to come up and, and be a, a, a problem, a pain to you, and I tell it to stop now in the name of Jesus. Be healed and be made whole in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, if that was you here in the room, just tell me about it when we get through so we'll be encouraged. It's really amazing that people... I talked to Joe Morris. Joe has more miracles in all of his meetings. But he, t he tells a story about somebody that uh, was, in his meeting was miraculously uh, turned around. He had a word of knowledge, and it changed him. I forget what it was. It changed their whole life. But they didn't come up and tell him. They didn't write him. They didn't, they didn't call and say. They didn't tell their pastor. And so he came back to that church sometime later, one or two years later. And they said, do you remember me? It was, it was over three years. He said, no, I don't remember you. Well, I'm the one that you spoke this, and it was this, and, and all of a sudden God healed me, and I turned to that. Wouldn't that have been good for Joe to have that to go around the world with and to open his meetings with and say, Jesus just got somebody healed of this terrible thing. Y'all come down if you got something going on because the Lord will heal you just like he healed then. But he didn't have that testimony. He had others, but he could have had that one. Tell somebody when you get healed or when your finances come in. Tell somebody because the devil will steal it from you. He will steal it from you if nobody knows about it. But if somebody knows about it, you're, gonna, you're not going to let that thing slip because you're going to say, you know, Jack might ask me about that, and I need to keep this thing hot. Tell somebody when he does something good for you. Amen? Amen. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in with us today on broadcast. Be blessed. We'll be back with you next week. Amen. Amen.